Welcome to the Why Invest podcast with me, Doug Barnett. In this series, we want to demystify the worlds of finance and investment. We're going to be speaking with industry experts, strategists, fund managers, and financial planners. We'll hear from investment professionals who are at the top of their game, but also entrepreneurs who need investment, technology specialists disrupting the world of investment, and good old-fashioned active allocators of capital. Who is leading the charge? Who is disrupting? Who is being disrupted? How does the frenetic political and economic backdrop feed into the investment process and really understand why we invest in the first place? Entrepreneurs come in all shapes and sizes and indeed ages, as demonstrated this week by our youngest ever guest on the podcast. His name is Charles Robinson. He's the founder of Gelcard. He started Gelcard when he was 19. He's now 20 and getting some real traction with the company. Gelcard is essentially a hand sanitizing dispenser company, which really doesn't do it justice. And he actually describes the product very well on the podcast. We saw him on Sky News. He's been doing all the media rounds at the moment. Charles was a great guest. He's incredibly thoughtful. Actually, for me, it was great to listen to an undergraduate and, and really hear firsthand the experience of university life during lockdown. Now, he's created something very positive out of quite a difficult situation. I really hope you enjoy this one as much as I did recording it. Without further ado, this is the Why Invest podcast. The information provided during this podcast does not constitute investment advice and should not be relied on as such. It should not be considered a solicitation to buy or an offer to sell a security. Charles Robinson, welcome to the podcast. Charles. How did you come up with the idea of Gelcard? So the idea of Gelcard was a personal and organic one. So some context, back in April 2020, I kind of had a talk with myself and I was in my first year at university and I wasn't really enjoying it. And with the news of COVID, I had a period of self-reflection and I thought for the last time in my life, I probably have six months where I can do whatever I want and there is effectively no or very little opportunity cost. So I could start a business, I could get into a passion or a hobby and I had no university obligations, my year was cancelled, I had no rent to pay, I was living at home, I had no family to provide for. I was 19 at this time. So I thought as hard as I could and I looked about what I could put myself into. So initially, it was a personal motivation rather than just seeing a problem in the world and then jumping to it. Um, so I started thinking and I was aware of a product which is a primitive version of the gel card and it was used in the Italian contact lens market. The idea was it was a very small card with a gel inside that a contact lens user could bring when they were outside of their home. And if they wanted to apply their contact lenses without contaminating their eyes, they would use it. And I wear contact lenses. I'd been to Italy. I'd taken some home and I liked it. 
just taking sure. a step back, Charles, and I've got a gel card. You kindly sent me a couple of mm-hmm. testers. I've got one in my hand, and the best way to describe it is like a small, probably half the size of a business card card that you fold into two and hand sanitizer. So it's a way of dispensing hand sanitizer. Mm-hmm. And so you say that this was originally used as a tool for contact lens owners. Right. Yeah, it was a optical accessory product for a solution for contact lens users. And I had the idea about putting a excellent hand sanitizer gel made in Milan inside. And premise one was really broadening the market application from just the optical accessory market to a near mass market good, right? So a consumer good, a hospitality, guest amenity, and that sort of thing. And then premise two was, well, we could custom brand these. We could have the gel card one, which is a black card with a white line through it, but we could also offer brands, restaurants, hotels around the world to put their artwork on the front and therefore it would double as a marketing product as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, I suppose this is a fairly new business for a lot of these hotels and restaurants because, you know, it was only really 2020 when they had to start sanitizing people's hands as they came in. What were you sort of, what was the sort of competition? Is it essentially just a person at the door with a squirty bottle of hand sanitizer? Right. Yeah. It was a completely foreign concept. And that was to, somewhat to our benefit because hospitals have forever had to think about what hand sanitizer they should buy. But restaurant owners, that's never, ever been a consideration. So there is no one to really make that decision. There's no convention to follow. Most people opted for a dispenser at the front of the restaurant, primarily because that's the cheapest and most conventional solution. However, some, particularly the better restaurants in London, opted for a gel card. And it's actually quite strange. I think I once remarked that Putting a gel card on the actual dining table, and if we're talking about the composition of a dining table, in these top restaurants in London, that's been the biggest change in that composition since the departure of the ashtray, right? It's always been cutlery, plate, any mm. condiments. And then the idea that every table would have a gel card there was a completely new concept, but it's one that many have embraced. Mm -hmm. So let's go back a step to the germination of the idea. So you came up with this idea. You thought, look, this is a brilliant, I think I can put myself into this. I've got a bit of time, got my, you know, six months studies aren't going to crack on for a bit. What was your next step? So yeah, after we had developed the product the way we wanted it to be and the branding, etc., the main part was about finding a paying customer. I was so conscious of that. And quite a few young people start companies and they come up with brilliant branding, social media, etc. But often the results don't reflect the work they're putting in in other parts of the business. So I was almost exclusively focused on bringing on customers. But the problem was I didn't really have any money to pay for marketing or adverts. So the idea was just to approach directly. I would find the right names of restaurant owners, hotel owners. I would write them personal emails or letters, send samples in the post and just 
to do whatever I could to get the product out there because I had so much faith in the product. I knew, or at least I thought I knew that if it got to the right person, it could fly. Mm. And so you had to, presumably you had to deal with quite a lot of rejection within that process. And I guess it's also a sort of lonely experience doing that. Who was your first customer and who was your first sort of big win? Sure. The first major customer was actually Park Plaza, who are a, remarkably, they're an international hotel group, which is owned by PPHE, who are part owned by the Radisson Group of Hotels. So it's a FTSE 250 company. And I guess the funny thing is that I was writing all these emails to everyone, but they ended up actually approaching me just after seeing a LinkedIn post or something. So they were the first big customer, which was amazing, probably after only a month or two of running the business. And they took the product on quickly and distributed it all over Europe. I see. And what kind of protection do you need to develop a product like this? I mean, do you have a sort of IP, intellectual property, or is this just a a sort of land grab distribution game? Sure. Yeah, it's a good question. We have some form of protection, certainly. We have the rights to the way the product is in certain markets, including the market we're currently in. However, the technology on a fundamental level isn't ours and it's actually using other applications. So if you go to any Pret-a-Manger in the country, there is a Ralph honey gel card, as it were, even though they don't call it, they call it a sachet. And it's not a sachet, but they call it a sachet, which you can buy at Pret-a-Manger and you can then use to put honey on your items. So the technology in its purest form, isn't ours. However, we have the rights to the product as it is with the hand sanitizer. But protection isn't something that worries me. Much more important is generating that initial demand. Mm -hmm. I see. I'm sort of curious about how one scales a business like this up. I mean, is there a sort of plate spinning element to this where, you know, you're trying to spend all your time writing letters, writing emails, cold calling to get new business? At the same time, you kind of need to keep the operation and your sort of distribution, sorry, the operation as in your manufacturing mm-hmm. out in Italy going. How do you sort of manage your time between those two quite different parts of your business? Right. I guess my managing philosophy, if there is one, is that nearly all my time should be spent on sales and generating demand because the other factors of the business you mentioned such as operational things manufacturing etc are derived problems that they only really manifest if there is demand to fulfill so demand is always a priority and there was a period early on where i was really focused on a application we were doing to be accepted in the ucl startup accelerator and I put a lot of time into that. And on one hand, that was great because we got accepted. On the other hand, it meant I wasn't focusing on sales on as, as much as I perhaps should be. Um, so it's a balancing act completely. But generally, I always say sales come before anything else. Yeah, interesting. Leading on from that, how supportive of UCL, your university, which I know you're in the process of deciding whether or not to return to your studies, but how supportive have they been in this process? So they have been fantastic in one sense. In the other sense, they're the reason I'm here. So I was 
at UCL in my first year, at 19 years old, reading philosophy. And I didn't enjoy the course and there were numerous strikes and it was cancelled due to COVID. However, beyond that, when I started Gel Card, they've been fantastic in facilitating us. They've given us a brilliant state-of-the-art office in King's Cross. They've provided us mentors from around the world. And overall, I believe it's £25,000 worth of support uh, for no exchange of equity. So they've been absolutely brilliant, I must say, in that sense, whilst they were also the reason I started Jelkov. Mm-hmm. Do you think, I mean, what are your cohort of, of undergraduates? Are your sort of classmates envious of you being able to break free and pursue this venture? Or what's the sort of feeling at the undergraduate level in your philosophy class? It's a good question. I don't know anyone who is currently satisfied with the level of education they're getting at university. And that isn't a UCL problem. That's more the online learning at this time, whilst you're paying the same money and you don't get even half of the same experience. In terms of my cohort's reaction, I guess most people didn't expect a philosophy undergraduate to do something so practical, which I get a lot. But I think I think that's fair enough, actually. And I think they do admire it. I think I wouldn't say envy is the right emotion. But I think they do respect it. And I think it's that thought really comes from the fact that you're not meant, at least UCL initially, especially philosophy students, aren't encouraged to think and try to create things and such as that. There is much more an idea, at least this was my idea, that I would graduate at a good university with a good degree and then I would probably convert to law and then go into corporate law. And that was kind of the structure and that's what the university is conducive towards. So I guess that's a surprising element. Mm-hmm. Right. So going back to Gel Card and thinking about the sort of best outcome in the total addressable market, where would you like to see the company in three years' time? In terms of the total addressable market, and I like the word addressable, by the way, I was thinking about this earlier and I found the more pertinent question to be what would be the total unaddressable market, if that's a word. More in the fact that I don't see there to be a clear limit or boundary on where a gel card would definitely not work. I think there are extents to how much value it can add. But going from a car retailer to a restaurant, to a hotel, to an airline, to a consumer item, I think there is this huge, huge potential which, by the way, is a blessing and a curse. So when I was just starting at 19, nine months ago, to sort of tell a ambitious teenager, you've got this product and you can, you can take it anywhere. The temptation there is to try and take on the whole world at once, go to every market, every sector, and try to sell it wherever you could. And the one thing I've learned is that you need to be pragmatic and find that niche to build your brand about. Um, I mean, that's good. Stay, let's just stay on that. What does your ideal customer look like? The ideal gel card customer is at the moment a business which prioritizes the customer experience above anything else and isn't predominantly focused about minimizing every cost. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, going back, so back to the addressable market, do you think that this gel card is going to be a product or there is going to be a sort of similar product in all London hotels, all restaurants, you know, all offices that have that philosophy? Is that your aim or how do you segment it? Yeah, sure. No, certainly that is the initial aim that we started with London restaurants and then that will expand to UK restaurants, European restaurants, etc. And that goes with hotels and corporate companies as well. But I would be aware of the narrative fallacy. Sort of, In retrospect, you might be able to line up things in that way, but it's very plausible that London restaurants might not open. So then we all, Parisian restaurants will be bigger than for us and then hotels will take off in Dubai, for example. But that is predominantly premium European hospitality is the short and medium term goal. However, I fundamentally do see it being a consumer good in its end state. So as it is a consumer good, I mean, presumably sales are, it's hard to sell it at the moment when these nations are in lockdown and when people aren't going to restaurants and aren't going to, and aren't getting out. How is your time or how are you focusing your time at the moment as we're into our third lockdown here in the UK? Right. I've actually been busy ever. So we had a PR campaign over Christmas, which I guess is why we're talking. And we were on Bloomberg USA, Business Insider USA in Japan, and Sky News um, in early January. And that's meant companies from all over the world in major markets have come to us with ideas. And we can't say yes to all of them, however appealing they look, and we've got to stay true to what we're doing. But I am essentially looking to do whatever I can to make the most of the situation and all of the leads we've generated so far. I suppose the next stage for your business might well need financing. Have you started looking and are you thinking about sort of preparing your business for its next stage of growth and perhaps a primary share offering? We haven't. At the same time, it's actually something I'm open to, but it's not something I'm currently actively pursuing. That's because I feel like the next stage of growth in the B2B premium European hospitality space, we can do ourselves. Going back to what I said earlier about pivoting to becoming a consumer good, that's the sort of thing that would require investment. And I mean, the contingent question there is, are we going to make that pivot in in six months or in four years? And I'm not totally sure how we're going to time that. And one of the variables is going to be on who invests, really. And to me, much more important is connecting with that investor and them as a person, how much I can learn from them, rather than just seeking investment from an institution. I have to bring up the topic of waste because, I mean, these are, it's a great designer, knowing it's difficult because this is a medium of podcasts rather than sort of video casts or, or sort of show and tell. But they are, it's a great product in that it feels good in your hands and, mm. um, and does the job. It distributes hand sanitizer incredibly effectively. The, the big question there is, you know, what do you do with it afterwards? And, you know, is there a sort of recycling program that one can do? And how do you think about the sort of sustainability of the product? Sure. So that's incredibly important to us. And it's in big letters on the homepage of the website when you arrive. So we had a decision back in April that the product 
initially was a single-use plastic. And we had to make, really, we had to answer two questions. One, does its lack of sustainability warrant us to not bring it to market? And two, if we do decide to bring it to market, um, how are we going to tackle that? Are we going to try to ignore it? Are we going to try to find an external solution? What are we going to do? So we brought it to market because restaurants, we felt, were crying out for such a product. And someone remarked that in 2020, gel card was going to save lives. In 2021, they're going to save the environment, which is out of jest. And it's not something I fully endorse, but it's what someone remarked. And I mean, fundamentally, the product was there to help people and protect them. Nonetheless, we wanted the sustainability to be something which we embraced. So that involved initially finding a type of external way to improve our efforts as a company. So we're part of the web neutral project, which means all carbon emissions generated on our website are offset by giving to a charitable cause. So Gelcard donates to communities in Uganda to provide them a more sustainable way of living. To the product itself, we've actually been working with the factory in Milan. And in 2021, which we are now in, we are going to be bringing out the most sustainable gel card possible, which will be made of recycled plastic, which I think will be really good for the brand and really true to our mission. Charles, I mean, it's an incredibly exciting prospect. And as I urge anyone to go to your website at gelcard.uk to see it, and you kind of, as I said, you know, you need to sort of feel it to sort of believe it. And I, I'm mm-hmm. confident that this is something you're going to see in more and more restaurants and more and more hotels in future. So it does beg the question, are you going to go back to university? I do not plan to do that. And that, of course, could change. I'm currently on leave. And one of the things you feel is brilliant about is giving students up to two years to put their studies on hold and then they can resume at any point and their results won't be affected. So I'm currently in my first year of that two-year leave, but I don't plan to go back. And and there's many reasons for that, but predominantly it comes down to is that I find what I'm doing on a day-to-day level, talking with companies around the world, dealing with manufacturers, designing products, videos, websites, much more stimulating on an intellectual level and much more personally validating than reading philosophy, which I was doing before. So £9,000 a year. <laughs> right, yeah. That is another factor, certainly. However, predominantly, it, to, to me, it comes down to that enjoyment on a personal level. And I'm learning much, much more, I'm sure. And Charles, I mean, this is sort of the final question. And often in this podcast, I ask you know, what advice would you give to the younger audience, so the graduates and the associates who are sort of coming out of university? But I suppose the, the question to you is, you know, what advice would you give to sort of fellow entrepreneurs, so fellow perhaps their students who are thinking about taking the plunge and doing something entrepreneurial? What advice would you give to them from the experience you've had over the last year? Okay, two things. Paradoxically, it's actually stay at school in the way that I had no interest about business or entrepreneurship or products until I started Gelcard. 
I wasn't the child who at 13 or eight years old was selling sweets in the playground. That wasn't who I was at all. I was really just into philosophy, economics, history, and I read all the time. I, for a period of time, thought I was going to be an academic. So I attribute most of my competence now to actually my academic studying, be that work rate or just the ability to analyze problems. I would suggest, though, that I feel that these things come around organically. And that might be when you're 19 or it might be when you're 29 or 39. So I would generally say don't leave school, but in fact, view school as a tool which you can harness to then enter the business world if it's for you. And if you do decide to take that plunge, my main advice would be to understand opportunity cost in its fullest extent. So, I mean, earlier you mentioned dealing with failure and rejection and all those no's. And I mean, right, I deal with that every day of the week, every week of the year. But it's understanding the opportunity cost and that if I write this email or if I attend this meeting or this podcast or if I speak on Sky News, what's the worst that can happen? What am I really giving up? And I think when you analyze every opportunity in that way, you really appreciate the opportunities that can come again. Charles Robinson, thank you for joining me. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Why Invest podcast with me, Doug Barnett, and our guest this week, Charles Robinson. If you want any more information on Gelcard, then go to their website at gelcard.co.uk. For more information about this podcast series, go to waverton.co.uk. And if you've enjoyed it, then like it and tell your friends.